You don't have to invest where you live. So guys, brand new podcast episode here for you. So if you're looking at out-of-town markets and you're just not sure of how the process would work, or maybe there's a little bit of fear and trepidation about going outside of your backyard and investing in real estate, stay tuned in this podcast episode. We're going to dive headfirst into the process of investing in out-of-town. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Russell Westcott. So first of all, before we jump into uh, the detailed interview that I have upcoming here with one of my best friends and one of my best property sources, Mr. Jason Mattern, before we dive into it, guys, you know the fee. You know what we're all about here on this podcast. Make sure you share it. Make sure you subscribe. Please leave a review wherever you're listening or watching this. would be greatly appreciated if you can just, you know, just share the love. If somebody is out there looking for a little bit of really good information on investing in real estate, Canadian-specific real estate, please share some love and share out this podcast episode. So what we're going to do in this episode is dive headfirst into out-of-town investing. So maybe the market that you live in, where you currently live, maybe your hometown, your home market, you know, for whatever reason, just might not be uh, optimal for investing in real estate. There might be low immigration. People might be moving out. The prices might be too high. The rents might be too low. Unfavorable landlord and tenant laws. Whatever the reason, maybe it just doesn't make sense for you to invest in your home market. That's where we're going to dive headfirst into this episode. Now understand that um, I live in Vancouver or suburb of Vancouver and I invest in an out-of-town marketplace. So I'm very well aware of the process. And what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to introduce you to one of my best property sources in the Ed Edmonton, Alberta marketplace. Now, understand that we're going to talk about Edmonton because that's how we can go deep into the process. I do not have an attachment to what market you invest in. The attachment that I have is that you know the reasons why you're investing in the marketplace and you have good people on your team that can help you acquire the right properties. So that's what we go. We do talk a little bit about Edmonton, but most importantly, we talk about the process. We also, on this, when you're going through and you're listening to this episode, you will see an underlying theme about, you know, how do you build a team? How do you get the boots on the ground in the marketplace? How do you know that you have the right person to do the job? How do you find a good realtor to help you out with this? And how do you potentially outsource some of the property acquisitions? Guys, at the end of the day, you can't do everything yourself in this game of real estate, and you need to find the best of the best, the experts to help you on your journey of acquiring and building a portfolio of properties. So I just want to offer you that context before you dive headfirst into this uh, podcast. Podcast episode. So, with all that, with all that being said, guys, please help welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jason Matter. Hey, Jason Matter, and welcome back to the show today. How you doing, Jay? Hey, thanks for having me back, Rusty. Yep, doing well. All right, guys. So, so we're back here, Jay. This is uh, this is episode number three. So, I think people might yeah. start might start talking about the, about this or something. They might start start talking about us. You know, you and I having all these podcasts and videos that we're doing. Well, I, you know what? I think I'm getting comfortable with it, Russ. I know I've said right from the start it's something that 
was a tough nut for me to crack. I'm not that public guy. I do not like being front and center. And uh, I think having a relationship on the other side of the screen uh, helps, obviously. That's someone that I know and trust as well. And, and uh, you know, it just boils down to, I think, getting past that and being able to, to help people. And uh, again, it's an opinion, right? Yep. If I can deliver information, everyone still has to make their own opinion, but I can give information on how we do things and handle things and look at things on this side. And at the end of the day, everyone can do what they want. Yep. It's just fine. Well, let's put it this way. These conversations you and I are having are conversations you have, you know, multiple times a day. And after they add up over a week, you have like 20 or 30 of these conversations. So we're just distributing the message a little bit more, aren't we? Yeah, I think it's uh, for all intents and purposes, it's easier to maybe have a larger audience and maybe answer some of the questions before even getting to a consultation. And I think, again, being a real estate investor and boil or boils down to getting the information that you need to make an informed decision. Yeah. And really, that's this is the maybe the, the leading edge to that of maybe peaking interest and answering some questions and and at the end of the day, see where it goes, right? Yep. And this is just 100% educational and there are no, you know, you know, no obligations any way, shape or form to, to purchase anything or not. We're just trying to provide the information and knowledge for you to make the decision that's right for you. Now, speaking of that as a context, um, today's context for our, our conversation is you, you don't have to live where you invest. Okay. Um, but it'd be great if you could, but sometimes you don't have to. As a matter of fact, uh, I know many people throughout the, the years that have never bought a place where they've lived. Maybe the economic fundamentals or maybe the fundamentals or the rent ratios or the price ratios just don't make sense for you to invest in your marketplace. So we're going to talk about out-of-town investing. Now, here's the cool thing about this conversation. We will be referencing a lot to Edmonton because that's where I personally invest and that's also where Jason is from. Now, here's the thing. What we're talking about here is universally applicable. Even if you lived in Victoria, British Columbia, and you wanted to invest in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge in Ontario, what we're going to talk to you about investing out of town universally applies across the country. But we are going to go deep into Edmonton because that's the market we're both very familiar with, but you can apply it to the market that you choose to go into. Does that sound fair, Jay? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Now, before we dive into it, Jay, I just want to get some just some context and for some people to understand. So, over the past interviews we've done, you you've shared um, approximately about two thousand deals you've transacted over the last twenty years. Uh, you've transacted or helped investors transact uh, about five hundred new construction homes. What would be you your best estimation of the percentage of your clients would be out of town people? What would you say would be the best estimation? percentage of out-of-town customers? Yes. Oh gosh, I would say that's at least over 80%. Okay. The majority, Russ, yeah. It's uh, it's really, again, something that's, uh, you know, we've built our business model around is catering to out-of-town investors. And, uh, you know, we'll dive into it some more, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot and there's a lot of uncomfortableness around it, I think, uh, in a market situation where we're at, where people are looking to Edmonton as one of the places to invest. And it's, there's a big hurdle. Uh, everyone looks and understands the information and the properties and, and sees the pro formas and, and everything we talk about, but there's that big gigantic step to actually 
uh, pull the trigger investing long distance, right? Yep, absolutely. It's funny. It's I'm actively seeking uh, money partners all the time and partner and, and co-owning properties with people. And one of the big questions I have up front for people is, do you feel comfortable investing outside of where you live? Because if the answer is no, then, you know, we gave okay, them, let's talk about something else, right? The other question I ask very clearly is, do you feel comfortable co-owning with somebody else and having somebody else potentially make all these decisions? And they have to say they feel comfortable with both. If they don't feel comfortable with both of those, that's that's fine, right? That's I don't have an attachment that we work together. I just have to make sure that I want to present something that fits for them. So suffice to say, Jay, you've you've been around this. This isn't your first rodeo. You've been around the block of helping people from out of town invest in in uh, properties in Edmonton. Let me ask a question: Are there some of your clients that you've never met over the years, like face to face person? Mm. There are some that are in the uh, acquisition stage that I have not met in person yet. So acquisition stage, meaning they've, they've got a property being built and uh, they've bought it without uh, being in Edmonton, but I have not met them yet. Now, I don't know if there's any customers that I have not physically met, but sometimes it takes a year or two or three, yep. uh, you know, and, and again, you know, that's... Uh, having the system to accommodate their needs in a transparent way where they can follow along and, 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 and keep in the loop is, is part of what we do on this side. Yeah. But you've probably have, you know, over the point process of owning the properties and the transaction, you've met every single one of them and you had the chance of breaking bread and having a beer and shaking, you know, shaking your hand and having that, having that experience <laughs> of shaking Jason's hand. Yeah, I think so. For the most part, I've had a chance to meet everyone. And, you know, if I haven't, I don't want to single anyone out. But, you know, for the for the most part, it, it happens. It just takes time. And it, it's not only upfront. I mean, a lot of long distance investors will come back once a year and do a walk through their properties, which I highly recommend. And we can talk further on that. But, uh, you know, again, it's I, I got friends coast to coast and these relationships, they start as, okay, hey, I want to invest and, you know, how can you help and, you know, da, da, da. But they, they really turn into, you know, long lasting friendships. And it's, it's pretty cool to have that uh, across the nation for sure. Now, do you save the uh, antique tractor rides just for the special, special select few? <laughs> no, heck no. Anyone wants an antique tractor ride, uh, I'm game anytime. <laughs> no, no, just if you guys are maybe tuning in your first episode, Jason, is, is you, you have some antique tractors, don't you? That's part of what makes you tick. I think so. I'm a collector and I mean, everyone's got their poison, right? And I collect old stuff. I got yeah. some old vehicles and old tractors and it's just amazing to me how uh, these were everyday tools back then. And I got some stuff that's, you know, uh, 80 years old uh, and uh, we still use them, but it's just the, it's amazing to see how the world has evolved yeah. for sure. Well, it, it's interesting. <laughs> and I joke, I had the joke, um, you know, here, city slicker, Russell over here. I'm born and raised in Saskatchewan, small town. I'm born and raised smaller place than you or Jay, but I've been away from Saskatchewan for better part of 30 years. So I'm out on the ranch out of Jason, got, got the nice shirt on and we should get the picture. We should find that, you know, I think it was even a pink shirt at the time sitting there on the old antique tractor driving. <laughs> We should shoot. That a, you were wearing, by the yeah, way. That I was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should. We should yeah. shoot a. We should shoot a picture of me trying to start, or shoot a video of me trying to start that antique tractor. Yeah, that would be funny. That would get lots of views for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks, Jay. 
<laughs> I actually had to turn my Saskatchewan card back in. I had to turn my Prairie card back in after I after I failed that test. I officially became yeah. became a city slicker at that time. Yeah. yeah. Nor are you allowed to drink Pilsner beer anymore. So there you go. Well, but I, I can still cheer for the Rough Riders, though. There you go. <laughs> All right. So imagine we've just lost everybody watching or listening to this episode of going, oh, my God, Jason and Jason and Russ are talking about prairies again. So, so guys, that's what it's about. This is it truly is real estate is about relationship. It truly is. And that's a key point that I want to make about this, about investing out of town is you need to have a relationship with a person that's on the ground and you need to have a good relationship with the boots on the ground. So that would be tip number one is that you need to have a good relationship. All right. So go ahead, Jay. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that I'll just mirror that comment, Russ, uh, you know, anytime or if anyone is looking to invest long distance into another market, the, the relationship is, is key. You have to be able to trust that person. You have to be able to like that person. It's a, it's typically a long-term relationship and you have to, you know, understand that these people know what they're talking about, can, can give you what you want at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, and it's no different than anything else. It's, it's real estate, but if you're going and, and have a stockbroker or a banker or whatever, you know, these people are making financial decisions for you. And it's no different for us. We're in a lot of cases, the eyes and the, the ears and the boots on the ground on this side. And, you know, we've predetermined properties for investors already. It's not that you're going to come to us and look and say, you know, well, here's a blanket situation of properties to look at. No, they're, they're pre-screened uh, in some cases, years in advance, you know, uh, dealing with land developers to get them to the front lines, they're pre-selected, pre-screened. Uh, but again, that relationship of just being able to trust that person that's delivering that info and you're going to have that relationship with, right? Yep. And that's one of the, that's actually one of our intentions that I want to have of doing this series with you is if people are coming to Edmonton is for people to get to know Jason. I, I'm a firm believer. I 100% recommend you are my go-to property source in Edmonton. You are one of my best friends, but I want people to get to know you and I want people to like and trust you like I do. And then what they can do is they already have a little bit, they might know more about you by the time they come to even visit you, Jay, than, you, than, than you're aware. And you know, that's great. Then I won't stick out like a sore thumb when I've got my John Deere shirt on and hat and, <laughs> and, and, and wearing blue jeans. I, at the end of the day, I'm me, Russ, and I don't sugarcoat that. Uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable in the golf shirt and blue jeans and that's typically what I wear every day. And, uh, again, it's, uh, it, it just, it goes to the relationship and the individual, right? Yeah. I wish I could probably pull this picture up as quick as possible. I can't quite find it as, so this is typical Jay. So for when Jason phones me in my on my phone, uh, Jason sent me a picture of him out by a farm a field, John Deere tractor on and a piece of wheat wheat hanging out his mouth, and that picture pops up every time the phone rings, and it's from Jason. Mm. <laughs> isn't that that's typical well, you, isn't it, Jay? That's who I am. You know, I'm uh, I'm uh, you know uh, operate at a little slower pace when I'm not at the office, and uh, I prefer the country life for yeah. sure. Yeah, nice. Okay, guys, let's just get right into it here. So I'm going to break this conversation up into what I would call the three phases, three phases of out of town um, real estate investing. Okay. Phase number one is going to be acquisitions. Phase number two is going to be like ownership and management. And phase number three is going to be selling or divesting. Okay. So each of those three phases 
could be another entire hour conversation in and of itself, but we're going to try our best here, Jay, to cover all three of those phases. And if we need to go deeper, guys, leave us a comment, send us a note. We'll go even deeper onto one of those phases. Okay. So let's talk acquisitions first. Okay. okay. So what does a person first, so let's say somebody's watching this. They sit there and go, you know what? I've heard about this Edmonton. It kind of sounds interesting. You know, I'm going to do a little more digging, a little more research. And they've made a commitment that they're more than just a tire kicker. They are sitting there. I'm, I'm serious and I'm serious about looking at Edmonton. What's kind of the first step that somebody would probably do? Well, I think is just reach out, reach out. And, you know, we, we have a conversation, uh, I would say 30 minutes, uh, inside 30 minutes. Uh, and really, uh, what I would like to do is just understand them. I want to understand, uh, where real estate fits with them. Uh, you know, is it long-term wealth? Is it, uh, they want to do flips? What, what's the, the end goal that they're trying to reach? And I want to understand their, their current lifestyle. Uh, I want to understand how much time they have to put towards this. If they're long distance, they're probably most likely going to be using a property management firm. That's great. You know, we can rec- recommend trusted relationships on the ground on this side for that. But once we have that information, Russ, or I should say, once I have that, I can confidently, you know, recommend property types. The last thing we want to do, and we've seen it happen before, unfortunately, is that people buy a property that looks good on a pro forma, for example, and they buy it and it takes more time and management than they actually have in their life based on business or family or whatever else. But the last thing we want to do is 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 help someone acquire a property that's not going to fit yep. A, their long-term financial goals, or B, it's not going to merge into their current lifestyle and actually be a, a contributor to their lifestyle versus a burden, yep. right? I and there's, you know what, R- really, there's probably three or four quick questions we can talk about and, and determine that and and uh, and go from there. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry if I'm going to jump into the controversial end of the pool here very quickly, but that's fine. That's it's, fine. It's our, yep. it's our opinion. Um, yeah. Jason, the opportunities and, and properties you recommend people, um, would you own them yourself? That's where it started, Russ. Yeah. Is, uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, and again, we I think we talked about this or mentioned this in a yep. previous video that I would find it hard for anyone to sit in front of a customer and ask, you know, for business and trust if you're not in the game and doing this yourself yep. or use the relationships that we're going to put in front of you. Uh, that's uh, that's an absolute yes. Would you have a hard time putting a property in front of a client that you would not invest in yourself? I wouldn't do it. Russ, I, uh, I just wouldn't do it. It's uh, now on that note, there's a lot of people that, Cash flow talks, let's face it, when everyone looks at performance and we send our menu out of properties that have performa, everyone zeroes in on the cash flow numbers and that's fine. But there, there's a big difference between some asset classes in real estate and homes with secondary suites and without. And, you know, some require more time and more management. And if you're not willing to put that time and management into it, uh, you know, it's probably not for you, you know. Some people have more time rest. Some people are coming in and looking for, you know, benefit of real estate 15 years down the road, and that's fine. Cash flow is not as important. They still have a good job or business and producing income. They're not looking for income replacement. You know, so maybe a property with a little less uh, management time is better for them. But at the end of the day, all I can do is I can sit here and I can say, okay, here's this property. Here's this property. You know, let me put it this way. It's not sometimes what you can see on the pro forma or the information that we present. It's sometimes the stuff that you can't see. And 
sometimes that stuff that you can't see doesn't happen until you actually pull the trigger and own the property and figure out six or eight months later that, ooh, geez, this property's taking up a little more time than I thought, or it's costing a little more money, or it's having more tenant turnover, or, or the flip side, holy cow, this is easy. Let's yeah. buy another one, right? Yeah. But it, it's all just really understanding what, what that person and their family are trying to accomplish. And I'm here to help, but only if they want it, right? Yeah. Now, there would be some areas within Edmonton that you wouldn't invest in, would there? Would there not? There's a, there's a lot uh, of areas I wouldn't invest in. Uh, I mean, we kind of start uh, on the front side and looking at tenant profile of who we want to have that long-term tenant relationship with and kind of reverse engineering it from there and, uh, you know, and finding the right uh, area and building the right property that will attract that perfect tenant that you want. And everyone's different. I mean, the the desired tenant profile that I like, it might be a little bit different. Now, you also need to understand the, the, the properties themselves just inherently will attract a different tenant profile. And all I can do again is say, okay, you know what? We have sold, you know, literally hundreds of these and hundreds of these. And here's the feedback, not only from the owners, but from the property managers and the tenants of what everyone liked and didn't like and time and money and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So somebody has, they've reached out, they've had the conversation. It sounds like it's a fit. Okay. So let's just maybe just kind of do this as you and I. I've had this conversation. I'm interested in moving forward. I actually have some capital and I actually have some, I can qualify for a mortgage. So, or let me say, I'm not clear if I can qualify for a mortgage or not. It's where a lot of people typically are is they're just not hundred percent sure if they can qualify. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know what, I'm interested in this. I've heard about it. What, what's the next step that you typically do when you see that there's a fit for me? I think just kind of uh, lining up the relationship, so to speak. So everyone investing in real estate, especially long distance, you need, you know, I, I'll, I'll call it a power team, but you need your trusted power team on the ground, right? And and that includes a mortgage broker, that can include a, a property manager, an insurance provider. You know, there's going to be builder relationships. There's going to be, you know, contractor relationships, service providers, all that stuff. So just understanding where they're at. A lot of people come to us and they already own real estate in different sectors or different areas of the country. And that's fine. You know, and if they have service providers on that end that they want to use, great. If they don't, uh, you know, we can certainly introduce them to, you know, trusted relationships on this end. And these, again, relationships like the properties, these are people that I, I, I use myself. I know I trust, and I know they're going to put, you know, our customer's best interest forward and help them get what they want. Now, most importantly, these people, uh, you know, they're familiar with our process here at TriUrban and, uh, you know, the product that we provide. And I think they're, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've heard it that they, they love what we provide. They love the properties, the properties that we give them. It's, it's easy for the property managers to rent and, and, uh, and run a nice, efficient business for ultimately the investor. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you really do kind of have like a one-stop shop of the team and people in place. But by all means, if you want to use your own people, use your own people. But um, one thing we've been found, and I, I I may get in trouble now, guys, I'm going to put a disclaimer on this next statement. I'm going to talk a little bit about the mortgage broker that you use, Jay. And I'm going to talk a couple stories here. And But guys, don't, don't say, well, Russell said this person's going to guarantee me. No, I did not say that. I'm just going to tell you some stories that have happened of people that have gone to Mike. And people, some other people would not even submit an application for them based on things because they maybe had five places, they may have had whatever. 
send them over to Mike and he understood the properties he knew and he was able to get them financing. Was he not? You know, and probably, you know, uh, most of the circumstances, I don't know what the percentage is, but uh, I can't recall a deal where we has not been able to, you know, make that happen. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, some of the old story and not what you know, who you know, maybe, I mean, he's well connected. Now he understands what we're trying to do. He's an investor himself as well. And, uh, you know, he's the founder of a, of a mortgage franchise himself. He owns a local bank. So, you know, he's well connected. And at the end of the day, I think how you present the deals to the lenders, so to speak, and how you highlight them will, will, you know, determine if there's approvals or not. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't know how he does that. I just know, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's uh he's a country boy too. And he's just, he's, he's one of us. He's uh, he's normal. He's not out uh, for anything else, but just to help people along the way. He's got an amazing business, you know, yeah. he doesn't even need to take our referrals, but I mean, he, he legitimately, you know, is, is one of us. He, he really wants yeah. to help. Did you, did you, did I hear you correctly? We said he owns a bank. He owns franchise. a local bank. He owns yeah. his own bank. So that's the kind of guy I want yeah. to be talking to. Now, yeah. so here's what I'm going to say, guys. If you are watching this or listening to this, and if you'd like me to maybe interview him and talk to him and find out what the secret sauce is, or if there's something, by all means, leave a comment below or wherever you're listening or watching, leave a comment, and I'll see if uh, if I can round him up to see what what the what the dealio is there. So, um, so team member, so, so now you've connected me with some of the team members. Maybe I've got a mortgage consultation. I've talked to the person you've recommended and they say, you know what? I don't see an issue with going forward. Good. Now, do I hop on an airplane and come out or what's the process after that? You know what? Some people do. You're, you're welcome to. I mean, with today's technology, Russ, we can do a lot of this stuff over the internet and, uh, you know, for most uh, of the builds and the floor plans and stuff that we're looking at, we, we've built several of them already. Uh, you know, so a lot of times we have a virtual VR tour that we can share. Uh, you know, we've got a ton of photos that we, that we take. Uh, you know, we've got floor plans, black line drawings. So, you know, there's developer maps. So, and then really kind of tying that to a little bigger picture of, you know, in Edmonton where these properties are and understanding why. Uh, why are we looking at this specific neighborhood? Well, it, 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 it's probably not uh, looking at it today. It might be looking at it two, three, four, five, ten years down the road and understanding those economic fundamentals in the Edmonton area uh, that are going to produce the jobs. And yep. where? Yep. Where are, are the transportation changes coming? Where are the commercial amenities, the schools, and all these sort of things? These are places where, you know, the, where our tenant profile is going to want to live. Yep. Right. So it, it makes it easy again to reverse engineer the the area and, and find that 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 property to attract that perfect tenant profile. Yeah. Yep. Now, you know, I'm just going to give you guys here's the tip that I've, has worked best for me now, just just for context. If some of you don't know who I am, I live in Vancouver. I invest out of town. Okay, so I'm I'm actually a client of Jason's and good friend and business partner. And we're we're just really good friends. And and, you know, you have a good a good property source that here's, here's the words that come out of Jason, Jason's mouth. And I tell him, Jason, I've, I've been out lining up some capital. I've got some new money partners. We're ready to move forward. The words out of Jason's mouth is how many and how soon, <laughs> right? That's what you know when you have a good, a good source of properties. When, when somebody's sitting there going, how many do you want and how soon do you want them? Right. Yep. So, well, so, it's a, a, a lot of people have that, uh, 
I'll say expectation of us. Uh, you know, we've got, of course, real estate investors are not typically coming to buy one property. And here, let me summarize it this way. Russ, if I can take all of that uh, acquisition pain and, and management off an investor's plate, and I can let you guys focus on really attracting capital. Now, whether that's your own capital and you're organizing and you're getting mortgages and, or you've got businesses and you're, you know, or professional corporations and you're, you're creating your own down payment, focus on that. If that's how you're creating capital, if you're using joint venture relationships and you're, you're, you know, you're presenting the joint ventures, you know, we'll help you with that. We've got a lot of information that we can help you and supply you that you can put into your package, you know, so you can present. But long story short is if you do what you do best and that's go raise capital, however that be, whether business or joint venture, let me take care of the rest, the property acquisition. Our process really covers it from tip to tail when we say acquisition you know, and including all of those relationships along the way that you're going to need. And they're introduced in a proactive manner, uh, you know, and the, the whole name of the game again is to, you know, engage the investor into an online process that they can follow along and know who's holding the ball and keep it accountable uh, and make sure they get what they want. Yep. Right. Yep. It's not about me. It's not about relationships, you know, and everyone's different. Everyone wants different stuff. Yep. And if you guys are interested in learning how to raise some capital, I know somebody that can probably help you out with that. Yeah. And and for those of you on the podcast, I'm winking with that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. okay, okay. So so we've qualified. We're looks like we're good to go. So and we maybe have decided that we're here's the tip I'm going to offer you guys. You don't have to fly out there yet until I recommend you actually get an offer accepted with conditions before you actually book your plane ticket to go fly out. That's the, the strategy and that's the process we're going to go. That's kind of been the, the the process that's worked best for people. So, so Jay, walk me through. So we've qualified. I'm interested. I'm committed. Do you send me some options or what, how do we, how do we work together on that? Yeah. So basically based uh, on our conversations thus far, you know, we're, we're, we've zeroed in on a property type, I'll call it. Yep. So the, the asset classes to me would be single family home. So single family home is a house with, that's only going to accommodate one tenant. It's typically a standalone house or half duplex model with an unfinished basement, but the tenant is going to rent the whole unit. Okay. The next asset class would be what we would call a suited home. This is adding a secondary suite into the lower level of the house. The third asset class would be a grad suite. A grad suite is now taking the secondary suite and putting it up above the garage. These things are, are getting popular. The next would be side-by-side duplex, a complete side-by-side duplex with lower secondary suites or not. And then we get into, you know, multiplex buildings where, you know, we're getting as many as eight rental suites under one roof. Once we understand the asset class, A, that fits your budget, and B, that fits your lifestyle, now we can start throwing options in front of you in those specific asset classes. Yep. Because the options are, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's floor plan options, and there's actually area options within the city with our different uh, developer and builder relationships, you know. And then we have information that would support or we can give the investor regarding each of those. And ultimately, they can make an informed decision from that. Yep. Okay. So so essentially, you start sending me, let's let's hone in on just one uh, you know, example. Let's say I'm interested in a garage suite, garage suite product. Okay. And, okay. and I, a little birdie told me that you have five of those. How many do you have? How many access do you have from garage suites right now, Jay? 
there's only five left and either, yeah, they're, they're a great option by the way. Good choice, but yeah. they're, they're rare to come across yeah. They're They're yeah. Based on municipal bylaw and, and where we can build them. Okay. So I'm interested in garage suite. Um, what do you send to me? So we do this by email or jump on a zoom. Like, what do you send to me for me to take yep, a look we, at? We can do either. Uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not the only one that sometimes not technology savvy and doesn't uh, do a zoom meeting, but Hey, I've learned how to do that. We can certainly hop on a, a zoom conference and go over information. But the first step is to send you, you know, numbers, uh, you know, we're going to look at, uh, floor plans, different options of that. And then once we've kind of zeroed in on that, we're going to look at what we'd call a build summary. So a build summary would be a detailed line item of the actual build, which would include the land value, the the model price, all of the options. Now, yeah, each one of them is going to have a little bit different options based on the builder we're probably going to be introducing you to and looking at because all of their specifications and their inclusions are all a little bit different. All of their option pricing is all a little bit different, but at the end of the day, we'll build all that for you and you can sit and look. And once you have that price, now we can overlay that into, I call it an IPA, an investment property analysis to where we can look at the associated performance numbers. Yeah. So you, you present me the pro forma, you present me the model, you present me some black line drawings. It's actually a really, really informative package. Now I'm interested. And Mm -hmm. then do you, do you go out and you fully price it or how is the process from here? Do I write an offer? How, How does this go? Yeah, that's part of that build summary, Russ, is that, you know, uh, because the a lot of the lot locations, uh, and you guys have heard me use this, you know, many times, is uh, I, I like to cherry pick them in advance, right? And uh, yes, I put little stickies on developer maps and, and, and keep track of them that way. But, you know, a lot of the areas uh, that we're focusing on, and when I say areas, I'm talking the, you know, the quadrant, the community of the Edmonton area. And then, you know, taking it right internally into that subdivision of that development and cherry picking some of the lots that are in that development that will work best for a grad suite plan or that will even accommodate a grad suite plan. Now, when we're building it and pricing it, like I say, sometimes the lots are a little bit bigger or smaller or sometimes there's a pie lot in the back and sometimes we can add extra goodies that will contribute to more income like an extra cement parking pad, for example, you know, um, the, 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 the lots are all a little bit different size. So the fencing by linear foot is always a different cost. So anyhow, where we're circling around to is, is, is just put that in a build summary for people to basically look at. And that's pretty much, I'm not going to say written in stone. Uh, but once we get into the offer processes where we can see things actually maneuver a little bit, but that, that, that build schedule that we're going to build up front is going to be within $5,000 give or take every time. Okay. So you essentially build out a a price sheet and I'm presented with something. Then I do my final analysis and and numbers and, and, and things like that. Then do we go and, uh, you know, do we do the traditional offer um, like, do we put it on the area contract and form and negotiate, and then you take it to the builder? Like, what's the process of the offer process? Yeah, so the offer process, uh, touching on the area contract, is the Alberta Real Estate Association yep. contract, uh, sanctioned contract. So we use those. We do have, because this is new construction, this is different 
folks then buying a resale home. Uh, there's a lot of variables in new construction that need to be included in your offer documents for your protection. And uh, again, uh, I've said this before, but you know, using a builder contract, I would never do it for any of our customers. We don't recommend it. A builder contract is exactly that. And it's, 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 it's no disrespect uh, or, or anything intended towards a builder. The, the, that's their contract. That's what they use. I represent the buyers, right? I represent the investor's interest. And, and it's my job to make sure that that transaction is airtight for the investor, right? So, uh, you know, past that, everything can be handled online, uh, you know, with online signing. The negotiation handles, uh, you know, with the builder on this side, uh, you know, I'll present the offer to the, to the builder. And you know what? They typically get negotiated, uh, you know, uh, start low, you know, and, 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 and really just get the best deal we can. Yep. I mean, each builder operates a little bit different with their discounting structure and, and stuff like that. But you know, that offer has got to be negotiated. Uh, and then we would have what would be called a, a pending deal, a pending conditional deal, which is, you know, most often going to be subject to financing. And it's also going to be subject to, you know, uh, the investors review and acceptance of the build plan specifications, uh, you know, as well. So yeah. during that time period, we're going to get a chance to not only get the financing rolling with the with the mortgage broker and get everything taken care of there, which we've already, uh, you know, preset that relationship and the expectations there. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to start taking those next steps with the builder and start zeroing in on a plot plan, you know, where we can move the buildings around on the lot, where we can look at the actual linear, linear footage for fencing, we can look at coverages and see if we can get extra sidewalks or, or cement driveways. With that, we're also going to get a set of actual build plans that we're going to be able to look at. And in some cases, some builders will allow us to make, you know, small changes. Some won't, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, we've had an opportunity really over years of relationships to, you know, to kind of put our footprint on some of these floor plans with recommendations from, from owners and tenants alike. And, so the floor plans we're going to be seeing are are, are vetted, so to speak. They they work. They're deployed, yeah. you know, and they just continually get better. Yeah. So so in essence, this isn't really just kind of any off the rack kind of a thing. Is like we do. There are there's you know good part of it set and the plans and the bill plans are the bill plans, but there are some customizable things we can do to them. Can we not? Well, it's more, uh, you know, the, the plans themselves, Russ, are, are, are good. And at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do with a 1,500 square foot box if that's what it is, right? Like, there's only so much you can do inside. The, the, the floor plans really have been designed. We have had an opportunity to work with our builder relationships for the most part to give them feedback and say what's worked, what hasn't, what tenants want to see, what owners want to see. But a lot of the, I guess, options, I guess, that we would probably include in the offer stage would be above the, the normal build specification yep. uh, you know and, and we talked about in the last video that the, the the deck for example is one of them some builders will include a deck in their base price some don't but at the end of the day most of them the standard spec is a treated lumber deck yeah you know we would certainly recommend upgrading that to composite decking material and aluminum railing because that is substantially going to reduce your maintenance long term yep. and you're never going to have to paint it there's going to be no slivers and uh, uh, the cost to do it at this stage is just so marginal you're, it's not even get, you're not even going to notice it on your pro forma yeah yeah right? now no but here here's a, a point I, i'm going to get to is guys just imagine if you were buying a pre-sale condo in downtown toronto how much say would you have in it probably next to nothing it's like which unit do you want and that's it for plan a b or c done hmm. 
right? This, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is this has, first of all, it's had multiple iterations and multiple years of revisions of floor plans. And there are things you can do at this point to actually optimize and enhance the rental experience, the rental income, and also most importantly, the tenant living experience at the same time. So there is some options we can do there. Can we not? Yeah, 100%. Yep. It, it uh, Again, some builders will allow us to do that. Some won't. But, yep. you know, for the most part, uh, all of our relationships will let us take those, I'll call it cost-saving measures and, and time and management-saving measures with some of the specifications. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yep. um, let's say we've got an accepted offer. You've worked your magic and you went and negotiated the best possible deal. Now, you, you understand, you have a, a range typically. You're pretty close to what because you've seen properties that have sold before and you know typically the range, you probably know the inventory position of some of the builders and and there is room to negotiate. There truly is. Um, but don't expect, a, you know, it's not like low ball city here too, right? So if, you, if you're expecting a, an absolute steal of something too, it's, that might not happen. We're, we're probably a little late on that. You know, there, there were some uh, spec inventory out there where we were getting some amazing discounts. Uh, you know, I know, uh, I know somebody picked time. up a couple of those. Yeah, you did actually. Yeah. But you know, the, that's kind of dried up. The, the market certainly shifted here. The inventory shifted. And, uh, but to, to, to answer that question, yes, is, you know, we understand the, and every builder's different, right? So some of them are really selling, you know, uh, at a fast pace, some of them, you know, uh, and, and have a lot of land position, right? Some of them are smaller builders, right? And that's fine. At the end of the day, we work with builders that, again, will, will work with us and make sure that a product that's delivered ultimately to the tenant is going to be what the tenant's going to want yep. and going to pay maximum rental value yep. for. Okay. So got the contract, got some conditions. Do you now, is this the time when you would recommend somebody to hop on an airplane to come out and check things out at that time, typically? Uh, before the, before removal of conditions. Yes, at the tail end of that, Russ. So yeah. basically, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, and financing is the big one. You know, we want to make sure uh, that the documents get delivered to the broker uh, right up front. We deliver them for people. We don't expect them to deliver it. We copy you on all the messages because we know what the mortgage broker, what, what they're going to want to present to the lender. So we make sure they get the package just the way they like it. Yep. And it, it just enrolls into our process where we can follow up with it. Again, the, the there's going to be uh, some subsidiary things with financing, like an appraisal and stuff like that, that we're going to have to handle. We'll make sure we coordinate that with the mortgage brokers as well and just keep you in the loop. So, you know, again, who's holding the ball? It's all coming together for you. You go get capital. We'll take care of this side, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so let's say we've... Um We've negotiated. We've got it accepted. I'm. I've head out. I've gone to Edmonton, and uh, Jason didn't uh, offend me too much. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, it was just like you just when you do realize and you meet him in person, he's just a big giant teddy bear, and uh, and I'm looking. I'm looking forward to go go ahead with things. Um, how does it handle from the lawyer's perspective of the closing of places? Well. Uh... Maybe let's, uh, if I could back up a little bit on that. So once the conditions come off and you're happy, you've come to Edmonton, yep. we've had time to, to, you know, maybe have an F-150 tour and, and, and look at your property and everything's good. We've, you've met the people that you need to on this side. You know, you've, you've met the property manager. You've had a chance to, to meet the mortgage broker. You've met the insurance provider. So you're happy. Okay. You yep. want to move forward. Conditions come off. At that point in time, we really go into a holding pattern. And what we do, because... At that point in time, the builder has 
stuff to get ready. You know, they, they typically go through a review. Uh, they, there's permitting that has to get done. And there is a little bit of a gap before construction actually starts. And that can be anywhere from a month to three. And there's a lot of variables, again, with the municipality of getting permitting. Obviously, with this COVID environment, we've seen big delays with our municipality getting permits, and it's just pushed backwards. So once the the stakeout or the foundation has been uh, uh, scheduled to be excavated, this is kind of our trigger point to get on the radar. Once we get to that point, we do uh, frequent visits. We do biweekly visits to the property. And we just take photos, uh, take photos, uh, uh, you know, if it's still under construction and there's machinery there, we, we're not going to get out and, and, and get up, uh, you know, onto the, under the framing and stuff like that. But once it gets to a lockup stage, we can start walking the inside. All we're trying to do, Russ, is just keep people in the loop, yeah. right? And we're keeping people in the loop, uh, and they can see the progress and they know that, you know, Everything that they've signed up for is starting to fall into place. Yeah, and and you so, do a lot of those things. You you've many a times have taken pictures. You keep the client you keep the client in the loop of the bill process, things like that. Now here's the thing, guys. I'm going to use that example I used earlier of somebody from Victoria. Let's and this is applicable across the country, guys. Whether wherever you're buying, remember if you're in Victoria and you're buying kitchen in Waterloo, Cambridge, make sure that the person that you're acquiring the asset from does all this details for you, right? That's, that's the key thing is that they don't just, you know, sell you something and, you know, sayonara, auntie Laura, if you will, right? It's they're part of the process with you. Russ, they have to understand that process because if they don't, you might as well just stumble through it yourself. Uh, and then quite frankly, you get too many cooks in the kitchen and you, you have to have one, uh, you know, uh, defined process that can keep the whole thing accountable. And it's not accountable. It's accountable for several relationships because, you know, there's a, there's a builder relationship, there's an investor, you know, there's, there's tri-urban, there's mortgage brokers, there's property managers, there's insurance providers. There's a lot of things, you know, that have to come across the finish line at the same time, yeah. you know, and our system is developed to manage that process in a, in a nice airtight manner. Yep. Right. Okay. So we're now at the phase where the builders are doing what they do best and they're building us yep. our house. Okay. Yep. And yep. we're still now, how does the, the money work Jay along the process? So typically it's like a, it's a small deposit and there's usually an additional deposit at condition removal and do, is there money along the way? Like how is the money flow work on during this process? Yeah, well, there's a couple options to that, but the, the typical process that we, <clears throat> pardon me, that we see, Russ, is, you know, we always submit a small deposit with with the offer, and that's $1,000, and I will gather that up front from the investors. It goes into our trust account here, and that, that's really all we need to get rolling. When the conditions come off, when we have the financing approval, when we've had a chance to look at the build plans, the plot plans, you've got all the information. You may have come to Edmonton, met the relationships, and and you're happy. Conditions come off. This is where typically a 5% deposit is due. Some will ask for more, but typically our relationships are good with a 5% deposit. So for example, you know, in a, in a, you know, a suite at home or a, say the grad suite model is going to be right around 535,000, you know, it's going to be roughly twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars now, that is your financial commitment, period. If we're taking a completion mortgage where the mortgage will fund at, at completion, you have no further capital requirements until probably about two weeks prior to closing where you will distribute the balance of the closing proceeds will go to your lawyer and then go to the seller's lawyer, the builder's lawyer through that process. Yeah. Now, um, I should have probably asked this during the mortgage 
portion, but our this Mike, the mortgage broker you use, is he able to get rate holds and get financing committed to something that's potentially nine months in advance? Well, boy, that's a loaded question. And that's something we should get Mike on maybe uh, one of these calls. And, and that's a great question because there are differences between a completion mortgage and what we'd call a draw or construction mortgage. And, 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 and they should be utilized depending on your financial situation. And uh, the, the banks will, uh, you know, based on experience, you know, could requalify you in a completion mortgage. So if you think your financial uh, situation is going to change a year down the road, maybe you should look, uh, you know, at a, at a draw mortgage where typically the mortgage approval is, you know, signed, sealed and delivered up front, not revisited throughout that process, mm. right? If you're confident in your, in your financial situation, is going to change? By far the easiest probably is to do a completion mortgage and, and let the builder take the construction mortgage and you just get your mortgage at the tail end. Yeah. But but the the big message there is provide your mortgage professional all the information up front about what your situation is and he'll determine which is the best. And and the other part is to work with somebody who's done a few of these, right? Not any mortgage broker, your your bank person, and you're going to say you're doing what and where and what what are you looking at? They they'll look at you like you have three heads. Well, again, it's having that relationship that has you know, uh, experience in doing this, Russ, yep. a lot of experience. It's, uh, you know, trying to, to pick the best in the business, so to speak, yep. to, 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 to get on our investors team. Right. No, I hear you. All right. So it's going forward time to close. Um, now I imagine in the meantime, we've had, uh, we've been introduced to our property manager or, or into property managers, and you've given a selection of people to go interview. Like, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you handle that part? Yeah, so that's exactly right. I mean, uh, I've always said it's about the relationships. So each of our property manager relationships all have their own little specialty of not only area, but property type that they like to to manage. So, you know, we'll give you two or three numbers and say, okay, here's so-and-so and, and uh, you know, here's three numbers. I really suggest contact every one of them. Uh, they all do the same thing. They all have a little bit different fee structure and how they manage that side of it. Uh, but really, I would recommend just going with with that personality, uh, you know, slash company that is going to fit with you and your personality and what you're trying to achieve. Uh, because let's face it, the real estate, the property management is a performance based business. And, you know, if tenants are in there and, and, and it's producing cash flow and everyone's happy, it's a really, really easy relationship to have. You know, on the flip side to that, if there's trouble with vacancies or you know, tenant turnover or midnight moves or, you know, stuff like that, you know, uh, uh, you got to have a property manager that can maneuver. And I'm sure they've all seen those circumstances for us, yeah. but you know, these are some questions that you're going to want to ask up front that what happens if my tenants late on rent, what's your procedure and hear it from them, what, how they would handle it. And you know, what happens if my tenant does a midnight move? You know, what happens if my tenant gets a dog and I don't know about it? You know, these are all good questions to ask up front. Yep. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing another recording episode of just you and I have a conversation about property management, working with a manager or self-managing with that. And I know you have a lot of experience. We both have a lot of experience on that. And we honestly, I know we've been going for, you know, maybe about 30 or 40 minutes now. We could go for another three hours on that one topic alone. Could we not, Jay? 
we might have to break this one up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, but I, again, it's, it's just experience. It's yep. a, it's, it's an opinion guys. Like, I mean, do with it what you want, uh, like it, love it, hate it. It's not gonna, I've got pretty thick skin. It's okay. But at the end of the day, this is experience that has happened, you know, in my world over the course of 20 years, I'm not only at a personal level, I've seen many, many customers go through experience as well. And, um, uh, again, it's just sharing that. Yep. And, and you have, um, you, you care, and I'm, I'm going to try and f- phrase this as a question. You really truly do care about the client experience because it is a lifelong experience because you're going to see them potentially when you want to sell it and things like that. And you also take a responsibility when you make a recommendation that the person you refer people to is a rep is a referral as a recommendation or sorry, a reflection back on you at the same time. Is that not, that's correct. It's a positive reflection or guilty by association kind yeah. of situation. Because right? and most people, if they're having a bad experience with something, who do they typically go to? They typically come to you. Right? Yeah. It's uh it's, I'm usually one of the first phone calls and listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Not say, you know, no one is not going to have a, a, a negative experience. It happens. It's the real estate world, yeah. you know, uh, shit happens. Right. But you know, at the end of the day, if we know about it and, you know, if it's a common occurrence or a one-off, that's something we want to understand. And if we need to, you know, maneuver our relationships, let's face it, we all got busy lives. We all change within our lives and circumstances happen and, and people and business change over time. We have to adapt and we have to stay in front of that, yep. you know, to make sure. And Russ, I think you know me and I, I think that's just my personality is, you know, I'm, uh, I like to knock it out of the park for people, uh, you know, and I want people happy and, and you're right. I, I do care. And, uh, it's not just about, you know, the acquisition of the property. It's when they get the property and, you know, you connect with them a couple months later and you find out that, Hey, we've got everything rented and cash flows coming in. Those are great conversations to have. Yeah. Yep. Right. When everything fell into place, just the way it should have. Yeah understand. So, so I know guys, just a quick check in here. We, we did commit to doing, um, three phases an acquisitions an ownership and a, an exit of this conversation. So I'm going to pull an audible, sorry for a sports reference, but I'm going to make a change, change of play at the line of scrimmage here. Um, we're going to postpone our ownership conversation, Jay, that we can focus 100% on that into working with the manager and also uh, self-manage and we'll have that conversation. Are you, are you okay with that? Uh, Russ, I think that's a great idea yeah. because that's just a, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Right? That, that in and of itself is a series of, its, of yeah. itself. And I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over it and leave people feeling that geez, uh, that was what I wanted. We'll make a commitment and we will have that conversation. But before yeah. we do sign off here, Jay, um, I do want to touch on if I'm ever going to sell a place and I'm an out of town investor. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I'm divesting of an asset, what's the process kind of of that? And, and interesting to know, guys, I'm doing that right now. I'm selling some of my older properties and I'm reinvesting into newer properties. And exactly what I'm teaching you guys is what I'm doing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so you're not going to sit there and go, well, Russ, you're just, all you do is recommend this. No, I'm recommending it because I'm doing it myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's the process if I wanted to sell a property I've owned for say 15 to 20 years? Well, and, and this is uh, probably another video segment, but yep. this is something where we need to get on the radar, you know, as soon as possible. And I would say there's, there's two things we're going to have to keep an eye on. One is your mortgage 
uh, uh, date of when your mortgage term expiry is. And the other one is your lease expiry, right? Uh, we're investors. These are typically uh, investment properties. They have tenants in them. And ultimately, it's going to boil down the numbers and making sure we're maximizing your closing proceeds. So, so if we know when the mortgage term payout is, and if it's too far in advance, we need to get a hold of the lender and we need to find out what the payout penalty is. If we're going to be faced with a three-month interest penalty or if we're going to be faced with an interest rate differential. And trust me, there can be a huge difference in numbers there, yeah. big time, right? The, the lease part, you know, we're just trying to coordinate that for our timing on this end. So for example, right now, we're going to be sending out uh, some information this fall and we're going to be asking people because we're getting to that time in marketplace in Edmonton where people, it, it's going to be time to put up for sale signs. Russ, you're already starting to do it. You know, there's, there's uh, been a crazy uh, summer market here for, for housing and, you know, the, the, we're seeing some multiple offers and stuff. Long story short is we need to get that on the radar this fall for properties that are going to be expiring into the new year. Now, once that tenant leaves is we'll go in and do an assessment of the property and take a bunch of photos, send you photos. And this is where we need to get it dolled up. Uh, now, if it's a suited home or a, you know, a property that would be, uh, you know, very investor focused, like a suited home or a grad suite or, or something like that, you know, we've got the opportunity to actually keep tenants in place and start marketing this thing beforehand. We've got investors coming all the time. How easy is it for them just to buy a property that's got tenants in it, under management, and it's just really talk about a turnkey opportunity. Yeah. If it's a property that's, you know, a single family home, like an older town home or half duplex or a single family home, those we tend to recommend putting those into the open marketplace. And to do that, yes, we have to terminate the tenancy or wait till it's done and we'll come in and do an assessment on it and we're going to get it all dolled up and clean and, and, and get the marketing in place to advertise to that new home buyer market. Yeah. Because Russ, that is a huge market segment. You know, investor sales are a really small segment of the marketplace and you know, that entry level home buyer market for these single family homes is a massive market at the retail level. Yeah. So in a lot of cases, we, we can, we can ask more money for it. Now, I, I'm sorry if I had a little, you know, for those of you listening on the podcast, you wouldn't have seen my little smirk when Jason was talking about at the end of the tenancy, we just, we just don't renew. Uh, this is Alberta and Alberta, the landlord can choose at the end of the term, not to renew a lease with somebody. <laughs> That Jace, do you know point. that doesn't yeah. happen? That doesn't happen in many jurisdictions. It's actually the end of the term. It's the many ten many jurisdictions. The the tenant is the one that makes that decision. Good to know. So yeah. uh, so really, and we actually sit there and we're, we strategically sometimes we strategically line up the ending of our terms. Like for example, you can have your term start ending in the Februarys and Marches of of that. You have the taint, and then you don't renew. The, the lease with the tenant, let's say they end, it ends end of February. And then you have the month of March to get it all spruced up. If you need to do some work and you got it on the marketplace for spring market. I know this was a little different spring market this year, but you can strategically line up your tenancies. If you know, you're planning to exit. If anyone's planning that Russ, I would highly recommend just timing wise. And it happens every year in Edmonton because geographically where we're located with old man winter and, and springtime and stuff, 
of having the tenancies expire at the end of January in the new year. And that gives us, you know, February, uh, we, we really would ultimately like to have the, the, the listing hit the market, you know, in February when we get that first, you know, warm ship blowing in at Edmonton and it's plus seven and the water's running and the sun's shining. And you got to understand what else happens in Edmonton at that time of year. We have the boat and sportsman show and the motorcycle show and, you know, the RV shows. So the home and garden shows. So these all happen at the end of January, early February of year. So it just gets the mindset of, of, of people wanting to get in a spring mode and Hey, buying a house is part of that, right? You forgot to mention the mosquito show. That comes, or the, the sorry, mis- that's the mosquito show. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's the mosquito the, repellent show. That's the air show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so uh, so guys, here, here's I'm gonna give give you guys. I hope you guys caught that. Um, that comes from experience and wisdom. And Jason, you know, sorry if I'm really pumping your tires here and t- telling everybody you should use you, but that's the kind of strategic planning that you do for your clients as opposed to just a realtor uh should i sell yeah sell right now always sell or always buy right and all they do is they stick a sign up and away you go you actually have some thought into this because you're an investor and you specialize with investor clients it's about the bottom line russ yeah. it's it's you know it's uh, yes the relationship but as an investor you know they these people are buying as part of a uh, financial plan and you know what if we can maximize them an extra five or 10 or $15,000 by just being a little proactive in our timing in our, in our, uh, in the release of the, yep. the, the listing and the preparation of the listing. Uh, I think that's, that's what, what needs to happen. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah, and people appreciate it. Right? 100%. So let's just, and I'm, I'm just using this as an example of one of the places I'm doing right now. So after tenant said leaves, I had a conversation with, with a joint venture partner and they were wanting to, they were, you know, in their mid seventies and they were wanting to sell. Okay. No problem. So then what, what's the process we went through Jason or that you went through to determine what the course of action that we were to take? Well, first uh, step is obviously a, a tour through the property. So we get keys from the property manager and we'll tour the property. So at that point in time, you know, uh, we're just getting information. Russ, I'm looking for, uh, you know, repairs. What's this thing going to cost to get back up to, you know, uh, a sellable piece? Now that sellable piece to me kind of comes in three different waves. It comes in as, as is fashion you know, maybe run the broom over it. And that's what it is. Uh, you know, you can do some uh, cosmetics to kind of bring it up to a mediocre listing, I'll call it. And then, you know, there's the high end market, a renovated market. Right. And if you're looking on the, on the, on the backside of this, and if you're actually, if you're looking in today's marketplace, there's a fairly big gap between the low end of the market and the actual renovated stuff that's yep. sitting up there. So in a lot of cases, it's worth the effort to put the money into it and get it up to a high end uh, uh, marketplace in that segment. The other thing on that note is, you know, a lot of those mediocre listings or lower end listings, they get put on the market and they, they either take forever to sell. And, and when they do get an offer, they maybe attract a low ball offer, right? There's, there's vultures out there and guys want great deals. And, and, and these are the people you're going to chase. And if you really look at the back side of this, Russ, and you look at the buyer, who's going to be buying this in most cases, like your townhome, for example, you know, we're going to raise value of it probably by $40,000 by spending 20, 25 on it. Right. But if you look at it at the end of the day, and let's just say the, the, the property value is $200,000. 
the people that are going to be buying that are going to be probably a first-time home buyer or an entry-level buyer. These people are going to be coming up with 5% down payment, kicking and scratching to come up with 5% down payment. And if they buy something low end at 150 versus something renovated at you know 200,000, the difference of their 5% down payment to have $25,000 worth of renovations is peanuts. Yep. So this is where people are opting to go into a renovated property and they're willing to pay for it. Yep. For that convenience of just having it done for them and included in their mortgage and down payment. Yeah, a lot of people won't come in and do the work, even though you you can justify. Like what we did in this exact exact analysis, I'll even give you the numbers, is Jason went in, took all the pictures, we looked at it, we essentially identified three different options. We could do it as is, which would cost zero money, and here's what you potentially would get for it. And let's say it was 160. You could spend about nine grand, clean up, do this, that, or that, and you could probably only get, you know, maybe about 169, maybe 175, give or take. But if you actually go and you spend and you get the new kitchen, you get the new bathroom, you get that done, and it's about just under 25 grand, the listings were showing that it would sell for right around the 200, okay? So it made sense for us to go with the 25 grand package because we would get that back and we'd get a quicker sale and we could just move on with it, right? But you presented me with those options, did you not? Yeah. I mean, I've got the information. I'm the, again, the eyes and the ears and the boots on the ground here. So it's, uh, it's not again, rocket science. It's a walk through the property. It's making a nice detailed list of, uh, the repairs that need to be done and then just scheduling it into those three categories and saying, okay. And then what we do is we look at the actual market side. Okay, Russ, if you were to do this option, it's going to be worth this. If you were to do this option, you know, this, if you do this, we're going to list it for this. And based on that, we can say, okay, in each of these segments, we can actually look at the percentage of sale, the list price and say, well, chances are you're going to get this for a sale price and it's going to take this long, you know, and, and really it's all the information that you need Russ to, Pull the trigger. Well, don't get me wrong. Uh, as you know, Jay, kicking and screaming to rate that check. <laughs> I would have much rather spend zero and, and get the highest price possible. But the unfortunate thing is that we had to spend that money to get that to get that price, right? And that's just the way it is. Especially if you own real estate. If you own properties, guys, here's one of the things that a lot of people don't consider. If you own a piece of real estate for 15, 20, 25 years, um, you will have to probably write those kind of checks towards the end by the time you want to sell it. If you have it as a rental property, you get very rare that you have. I actually have one place. You would know the place in, in St. Albert, the tenant I've owned it. How long have I owned it? 13 years. And the tenant was probably there yeah. 14 years. Yeah. 14 years. And the tenant was probably there 10 years before that. And we have not had to put anything into it at all. And it was one of the cleanest places that we owned still. Uh, I know it's dated. It's completely dated, but at the same time, it does, it's, it, it's rare, but it does happen. Russ, if you look at the numbers in that area though, versus unrenovated, unrenovated versus renovated, the the gap, I guess that we talk about, you know, again, I'm, I don't make any money off renovations. I'll certainly recommend and, and help you with, uh, you know, contractors that can reel this all together, you know, uh, force and keep us in the loop. But uh, it's in your best interest financially to, you know, 
I call it cycle the money because you're going to have to put it in, but you'll get it back out in the sale proceeds. And, and throughout doing that, you should create yourself extra value in your sale proceeds. And, and probably most importantly, when people want to sell, people want to sell. So there's a big difference between listing a property and having it float around for six months in a, in a listing, you know, versus, you know, putting a, a nice listing up and, and, and getting an offer in the first 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. Now, We've we've had some properties that have been like that on the good side, but we've also had some sock destroyers at the same time too. And Jason, you would know what a sock destroyer is. So describe tell me what a sock destroyer is. <laughs> okay. A sock destroyer is a, a property where you know I go in and do an evaluation. And in the first case, I probably shouldn't even took my shoes off, but to be courteous, I did. <laughs> I got to throw my socks away before I can get back in my truck. And Jason and I, we had a running joke that for Christmas for a few years, I, I bought Jason a Costco pack of socks. <laughs> socks, yeah. Yeah, duly, duly so too. And, and you're sitting there and there's been some times where we've toured some properties and guys, we're not trying to scare anybody out or freak anybody out, but there was times of going, I'm not touching that door. Not like, how do we leave? Who's I'm not touching that door. Not you, right? Well, you know, the good news is, Russ, we don't, uh, you know, we don't go anywhere as close to those properties and, and they're on transition out the door. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's just, uh, and I'm probably, uh, there's just nothing I haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, people sometimes are strange creatures, tenants are strange creatures. And uh, you just, you know, I'm never cease to be amazed at some of the yeah. things I walk into. But but it's now of a point where, so from, from that extreme to some of the newer places I now own, I would be proud if I was coming to town and um, I said, if I had a vacancy, I would bring my sleeping bag and I would stay there. Like I would be proud to stay there because they're, they're in great condition. They're nice. They're, there's something you would be proud to tell people you own. Yep. I mean, that's just, again, the course of the learning of, and moving towards the, the new construction product, Russ. It, uh, it just works better. It not only works better as a lifestyle management and incorporating into people's lives, it works long-term on financial statements. Uh, you know, and we've got the financial statements to prove it. Uh, you know, we still have some older ones and we've got some newer ones and those newer ones. There's just, you know, every year uh, that goes by, we're able to take cumulative cash flow from the year and put it on mortgage. And we're not having to put it towards, uh, you know, either tenant turnover costs or repairs, you know, uh, it's just, you know, they're very, very efficient to own. And uh, I think you can utilize the cash flow again, for more important things like mortgage principal reduction. Yeah. And and here's the thing is, it, it's one of those things that we could sit here and we could tell you all about it from experience of owning it. It's one of those things you have to actually own them to experience it and you you would understand it. Like it is truly, it is a different, it is a different experience owning them. So. Yeah. And, and you know what, Russ, on that note, if, if anyone is interested, I mean, we've got several customers and, and investor clients Canada wide that have, 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 you know, opted into the new construction. And, you know, I know a lot of them would be, would be more than happy to, to give you an unbiased opinion of their experience. And, um, you know, again, I think, uh, a lot of the people that are, that are coming and, and, and our customers there, you know, I, I hate, I'll use the term one big family where we're kind of all here to help one another. And I'm sure people would, uh, would be willing and, and glad to share their experience. Yep. 
absolutely. And you know, don't don't take my word for it. I I don't have a dog in the hunt here. The dog I have in the hunt is any I make a commitment to anybody who wants to be part of my audience to follow me. I make a commitment to do what's right for you guys and share what is working, share share to have a good experience of this. And it's not going to be sunshine and roses and unicorn farts. It's going to be a little bit of ups and downs and it's going to be some challenging times, but this is stuff that I wish I had known back in the day when I got started and, or, or buying place or even transition. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody today and the conversation went something like this is goes, look, I'm 20 years into this and I feel like I'm just getting started because of the impact and the depth and the reach that I have of goals and the vision that I have for my own business and my depth and the goal and the reach I have for inspiring real estate investors. I honestly feel like 20 years in and I'm just getting started because I've got so much more to give and contribute and I've been tired of playing small. It's time to step up. It truly is time to step up and make a bigger difference in this world. So that's my, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox here for a second. But Yep, nicely done. And and Jay, would you like to leave anybody with some final inspiring words or maybe some, some first of all, we'll contact information if somebody wants to reach out to you and maybe some final inspiring words before we sign off. Sure. If if anyone is interested, I mean, this is not for everyone. Uh, real estate investing is not for everyone. You know, investing long distance is uh, is a big hurdle in a lot of cases to overcome. But if it is of interest to you, you know, reach out. Uh, I uh, am a no pressure tactic guy. I'll give you the information you need. I'll have a conversation with you and I'll explain in a little bit more detail. I guess we went over a lot of the process that we go through today. We 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 didn't get to the the, the closing part of it, but you know what? reach out. You can uh, connect with me uh, by email is easy. Jason at tryurban.com or even go to my website. It's tryurban.com. And uh, you know what? It's, it starts with a conversation and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yep. All right, guys. So why don't we just leave it there and guys, make sure that you subscribe, follow along for any time we have these conversations coming out. Okay, everybody. Bye for now. Bye for now. Got to sync the end up too. All right. So you want to do one quick, quick hitter with the. He's almost an hour, eh? It was right around one hour. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Okay. This one's going to be a shorter. Maybe we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to bring a little more energy. Not that I didn't have energy before. That's okay. Hey everybody, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. I was just having a wonderful conversation with my main property source in Edmonton, Alberta. And Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jay, you were just sharing with me some on the ground intel, what's happening in Edmonton. And, you know, I, I was sitting there and we were on the telephone and Jay, I said, Jay, we need to get the cameras on. We need to record this to share this with a wider audience. Jay, what's going on yeah. in the Edmonton, what's going on in the Edmonton marketplace? Well, I tell you, Russ, it's been, you know, I think probably something that no one expected. Uh, you know, I, I winding back the clock back into March and, 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 and the COVID storm hitting us and, you know, CMHC forecasts of price dropping and, you know, everyone kind of batting down the hatches. You know, I don't think anyone knew where we were going. I mean, we tried to sit back and there were several, you know, webinars and meetings that I participated in to, you know, just to really, you know, get opinions and hey what are you doing and what are you doing and and finding out but you know uh, a little ray of sunshine i mean i i, I think right around may long weekend uh, this year you know things kind of busted loose i guess for lack of better terms and 
you know, the, the, the numbers have certainly, you know, probably come into a more balanced market situation. And in, in some cases, Russ, we're, you know, we're seeing some multiple offers and, and, and some of the product that, you know, we've been selling and, uh, we haven't seen that in a long time, right? It's been a long time. Edmonton's been kind of lumping along for the last decade. And, you know, this really, really feels because I'm old enough and was in the business back then, but this really feels familiar, you know, 2004, 2005, you know, where we were at that point, you know, prior to the big boom. And I don't know where things are going to go, uh, you know, and where things will balance off. But today, you know, on the ground, we, uh, in our new construction properties, we've started to receive some price increases and, uh, I'll just, you know, keep it generic. It's probably anywhere from eight to $15,000 yeah. per model. That's substantial. Well, I know and we know this firsthand because we were just negotiating on a six pack, a six properties in a row. And to get pricing on that, I was working with a, a money partner to buy these and, and they, they essentially were telling us that the prices have gone up and why, why is that the case, Jay? Well, the, the immediate response is the softwood lumber prices and the, 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 the demand that we're seeing there. Uh, you know, I, I haven't dove into the statistics yet, but I've seen some of the headlines with, you know, the, the record home sales and the, the record housing starts across the nation, you know, have all kind of contributed to this. And on top of that, you know, we're in a, uh, still in a, working in, in a lot of cases in a COVID environment where, you know, business flow is not really what it was yet. You know, there's a lot of delays yet and, you know, production's not where it was. So it's just really contributed to a lot of, you know, material shortages in, in, in the housing market. Now we've seen these, uh, the, these price increases, Russ, and I think as long as the, you know, the, the activity keeps relatively high and where it's at and maintains where it's at, I can't see it going the other way. Uh, you know, I don't think this is a short-term blip. I think it'll become the normal, you know, and, you know, builders will be able to hold, you know, the, 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 the extra asking price, right? The, the other variable, I guess we're looking at, and it happens every year, uh, you know, we're getting to the end of summer here now, looking at where the serviced land availability is for next year. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be, again, I've said it before, but I think there's going to be some land shortages, you know, coming into springtime next year. And why would, why would that be the case, Jay? Why is that the case? Well, well I, I think if you, you understand the whole cycle again of the, you know, the new construction market of when a land developer develops and when a builder commits and, you know, it's all based on sales. So we're coming out of a marketplace last winter, you know, for the previous year, really, where a lot of the builders in the Edmonton area were sitting on a ton of spec inventory. They'd build homes and couldn't sell them, you know, and, and the prices and the discounts, you know, were getting better and better. And there was a lot of builders that were really unloading inventory at cost or even below cost, you know, just to get flushed back up and, 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 and get that money moving in the right direction again. But you know, uh, times have changed. It's, it's not the circumstance today. You know, the, the, the new home sales today are, 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 uh, very aggressive. You know, we've got, you know, some builder relationships that, that can't keep them in stock where this affects the land shortages is the developers have been sitting still as well. They have not been, you know, developing land and getting more land ready to keep up, you know, with the demand. Now, Albeit our demand has been a fairly short burst so far since probably May long weekend, but we've seen, you know, super strong numbers from May, June, July, and now into August where it's, it's doesn't seem to be tapering off. 
So what's happening now is that demand is still going, but the supply is not there. And we're going to have that catch up here. And if it doesn't happen this fall, it's going to happen by, you know, next spring. And, you know, uh, land developers are business people. And I think if there's an opportunity to charge more based on the old supply demand, it's, it's probably going to happen. I mean, yep. we, We've started to see some price lists, uh, but that'll be coming more into the fall where we're going to start seeing some price lists on land availability for next year. And uh, it's it's probably going to be another price bump on the overall product for us as investors. Yep. So if I can quickly summarize that, if you have demand going up, supply going down, and input costs, softwood lumber going up, that should equal out to price increase. And that's what you're seeing in the marketplace. It's fact. It's yep. it's already happened. Yeah, yep. it's it's already happened on the actual construction side. Yep. Now, some of the land positions, I guess, that we're still selling into, you know, are at this year's prices, I guess, for lack of better terms. But the newly developed land, all of that stuff is being retendered and, you know, reorganized. And when that hits, it's going to be at a higher value. Now, there's two aspects to each build, and that's the land and the actual construction Cost. We've seen an increase on this side already, and it's if I'm a betting man, you know, we're probably going to see an increase on this side. But yep. you know, it's a it's a typical cycle, Russ. We've we've seen it before. You know, the the it's it's actually really good news because this will you know should trickle out into our into our retail market and our resale yep. market as well. You know, and of course, uh, you know the the rents have always seemed to stay relative. And what I mean by that, you know. The, the cost of the properties go up and, you know, with some of the, uh, you know, major economic fundamentals with, with our pipelines and stuff that are happening, I think our economy is on the flip side too and on the go side in Alberta here too, where, you know, uh, rents are going to start increasing too. Yep. And that's just truly what we just were just talking about is the tip of the spear. Now we're not sitting here telling everybody this is a guarantee and it's going, this is still early in the process and early, but the, it's, the, it's starting to form. If, if, right. And you're seeing that on the street. Yeah, it's, 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 it's on the front lines already. So, I mean, I guess the recommendation is that if there's people out there that are looking at new construction properties, you know, there are some builders that have not increased their price yet. I don't know how long that's going to last. Yep. You know, they, they've got tendered contracts with their lumber supplier too. And when that runs out, inevitably the, the price are going to go up, but you know, really it's, it's a, it's a small deposit to get in. What you're doing, uh, Russ is, is you've got the ability to lock in your price yep. today, yep. right. And, and you're not going to close on these things at, at you know, we're, we're in August right now. It's going to be probably May, June next year, you know, time it for the high tenant season before you're going to get it. But you've got the ability to capture some extra equity, you know, by just really signing on the dotted line and, and making that commitment. Well, that potentially could be anywhere in a couple of the reports. There was a global news article I saw. There was a couple other, and it's anywhere between, as you mentioned, eight to 15 grand. If you lock in today to what it's going to be, very like into September, like and the window's not that big. No, so. no, no. So. I think overall, Russ, the you know we've got uh, you know and I've heard several people you know uh, say it is you know there's a buying window in Edmonton right now, and I, who knows where that buying window is? But I've heard yeah. people say you know we've got a, a couple year buying window here, but you know I think the longer you wait into that buying window, uh, or per, let me spin that around, the earlier you get in you know, the, 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 the cheaper your acquisition price can be. Well, if I was to, to rub something shiny and bald and take a guess, I'm thinking it's 18 to 36 months. 
that's my buying that's cycle. Buying cycle that there, you're going to get some some still some good opportunities at some good pricing before things before some fundamental shift. And uh, that's just what I'm speculating, and that is 100% speculation because my crystal ball broke a long time ago, and it ain't going to be smooth sailing probably for the next 18 to 36 months either. It's going to be some bumps and ups and downs and dips and dives, but that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be investing. You want to be investing in a market that has potential for a pr- growth that isn't showing the growth right now. Like the last place I and sorry guys, my opinion only. But when I start seeing people teaching strategies on how to win multiple offers on pre-construction something, when I start seeing people teaching strategies on how to win in multiple bidding offers, um, I, I think the popcorn has stopped popping a little bit. That's my personal opinion. And how I'm, I'm knowing that is because I've been through it. I've been through those markets and I've seen it. And, you know, you do what you think is right. I'm doing something a little different, right? So, Well, I can tell you, I guess from my side, I bought properties in 2005 <laughs> and I bought some in 2007 and it's only two years. We're yeah. only talking two years there, but what a difference, what a difference in the long-term, you know, mortgage principal pay down the long-term cash flow, yeah. <laughs> all of the above that those properties have produced. And I guess my point being is that, you know, in, in real estate, we either, you know, we, we need to either force equity into it by way of improvements to the lands or the buildings by way of renovation. Or, you know, for those of us in the long-term holes, we need to buy it on the right side of the cycle and just let the market do its thing for free, yep. you know, and, and that's just timing. It's, uh, it's just timing. Well, it's interesting. I was actually going to, I'm writing a blog article and I wanted to shoot a video on it and maybe we'll just include it here. There's um there's some people out there that say, you know, Scott McGillivray, I think, was the first person. I'm not sure if he was the first person that said, it's not about timing the market, it's time in the market. And on one hand, I 100% agree. But why do those things have to be mutually exclusive? Why can't you timing have good timing in the market and be in the market for a long period of time? Here's a case point. Ask anybody who bought a place in Edmonton 2007, 2008, 2009. They've been in the marketplace for quite a while now. And a person who had bought something in 2003, 2004, 2005 are in a completely different position if they wanted to sell right now versus that person in 2007, eight or nine. And that's not a long time. So it, I think it can be both. It's timing and it's time in instead of having them mutually exclusive. Yeah. And, and, and Russ, I just, I, and I don't know if this is fact or fiction. It's something that I've seen in, in business in general is that when we're talking the difference between say 2005 and 2007, and you're absolutely right, because I, I lived that story too. And there's a huge difference in, in, in financial position in those two almost identical properties. But if the, the timing of the market will allow you to, uh, you know, capture that appreciation, it, I guess at the end of the day, why would you not do it? It doesn't cost you anything. It's just, it, 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 the market is a living, breathing thing. And as much as the market is a risk in any investment, the market is actually the reward. But you have to get in on the right side. Now, in today's world, I'm seeing, you know, we said two years there. But I think, you know, technology has come a long ways from 2005 to 2007. Information travels so much faster. And I don't know, I know the real estate market's been the old sleepy thing that we've been able to sit and react to, but I would have never sat and predicted the market swing that we've seen in the last 90 days could happen that quick. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is that we're sitting here talking 18, 36 months. Okay. Yeah, I agree. 
you know, but I guess there's a big question mark over it, you know, but I think where I'm going with this is that the market today has an ability to shift much quicker than it did even in 2005 and 2007 based on technology. Yeah. My thoughts only. And listen, listen to us old dinosaurs talking back in the day when we were writing offers on the, on the hood of the F-150 on carbon (laughs) copy. What was, what did you say? Mm. Press hard, bottom copies yours? Sign here, press hard, bottom copies yours. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's just like, it's just a push of a button and it gets, it it gets sent to somebody. So, so Jay, just wanted to thank you. I know this was, we wanted to shoot a little quicker segment here about just some of the things that you're seeing on the ground and on on the street level of what's happening. And, you know, we're, we're here 100% to say that we're, we don't have a crystal ball, but there are some things that are forming and we just wanted to provide you the information. Yes. Yeah. And if anyone, you know, I know it's a, it's a long shot. It's an opinion. And again, people, I, I'm not going to say I'm right or wrong. And uh, you know what? Uh, it, it's okay. Uh, but if, there are things that we're following for our investor clients, some of the initiatives that we are following with pipelines and, you know, some of the jobs and economic fundamentals. And, and this is what I follow. If anyone's interested, by all means, reach out and I'll share who I'm following and where I'm following and what I'm following. And you form your own opinion. Like I say, it's your, the investors are the ones that are stroking a check. I'll just help you get what you want. Right. Yeah. And then when you start seeing things like, what did we just see with Bob Dylan with main street equities, a lot of the big players, you know, I would call them institutional money and smart money. They're, Mm. they're diving back in again in a big way. So, yeah. So guys govern yourself accordingly, do what you feel is right for you. We just wanted to provide you some information. Uh, Jay, one more time. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, where do they get a hold of you from? Uh, easy email, Jason at triurban.com, T-R-I-U-R-B-A-N.com. And, uh, I'll reach out from there. All right, guys. Hope, have yourself a good one. And remember in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. All right. So what did you think? Wasn't that a wonderful episode of the podcast here for you? You know, I just love working with Jason. As you can probably tell, we're just really good friends. And I challenge you also at the same time is, is your realtor, is your teammates, people on the bus with you alongside in this journey along real estate, are they good friends? Do you enjoy working with them? Are they key trusted relationships and key trusted people on your team of of real estate investing. So what were some of the key takeaways you took from this? Share wherever you're watching or listening to this episode, share some of the key takeaways. Does this apply to you? If your home market just doesn't uh, fit the box of uh, optimally uh, producing cash flow, optimal uh, return on investment for your capital? Are you maybe encouraged to check out a new market? Are you maybe encouraged to try and look uh, somewhere else? So guys, if you are interested, uh, I think Jason and I had a conversation here where there will be a link around wherever you're watching this or listening to this podcast episode. If you are interested in checking out the Edmonton Marketplace, by all means, reach out to Jason. He is a wealth of resource that can help you start the journey if you're interested in Edmonton. But if you're not, 
not. And that's okay. Remember, I don't have an attachment to where you invest. The attachment I have is that your money works hard for you. The attachment I have is you know why you're investing in that marketplace and that you confidently move forward making decisions. That's what I really have attachment to. But if Edmonton has piqued your interest and maybe is a little bit of intriguing to you and you want to get more information, reach out. Jason can give you a helping hand. Okay, guys, as once again, you know the drill. Make sure that you share this, leave a review, uh, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to get instant notifications. And guys, always, always, always remember in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and know that you came from a place of love. Okay, bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.